This is Suzanne York with Humans Optimized. We specialize in change management for technology adoption by bringing together advancements in technology with elevated human skills. Our aim is to cultivate human-to-human and human-to-technology collaboration. This combination will allow us to take advantage of the immense opportunities in the future of work. How much time do you spend in your job actually doing what you love? What if you got to spend most of your time doing the work that's exciting and energizing to you while also achieving your desired results? In this episode, I'm talking with Tejas Kulkarni from Zestel, whose flagship platform, Zevolve, unleashes Teams' creativity and puts enterprise productivity on steroids. I'm thrilled to have Tejas joining me from Pune, India, to talk about how his company brings ready-to-use artificial intelligence into the hands of business users. Tejas, welcome to the conversation. Hey, thank you. It's really good to be here. Um, you know, and, and especially because uh, I find your space to be something that's really critical and uh, often underrated. Well, I appreciate hearing that. It's an interesting space that I didn't know existed when I was in college and found myself spending my career at the intersection of business and technology. And I've just really loved being um, in the middle. Yeah, I think we've, I, I'm pretty sure we're all doing stuff that uh, wasn't really there at all when we were in college, right? I think things move very, really very fast. true. Yeah. yeah, they do even faster faster now than I won't tell you how long ago I was in college. Um, but to your point, in the in the years that I've been um, in the workforce, the immense transition and transformation that has happened in the conversation of business and technology has been you know lightning speed, and it's just getting faster. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So I come from a from a marketing background, and um, you know, we. So I I remember there was a time on on when like when LinkedIn was really new, and we would. Um, it was like a bit of a curiosity. It wasn't actually a lead generation tool. It was just something we used to uh, maybe find contacts. And I remember the first time Obama became president, uh, he was accepting all, all the connects, right? And everyone that I worked with was really excited. Oh, like I'm connected to Obama. And now, of course, it's such a different zone where there's so many people along connect lists. And it's not just about networking anymore. It's about so much more than that. So, you know, I, I've like I've just seen that space evolve um, so much, maybe every few years that, um, it's, it's, uh, exciting and it's a lot of work at the same time, if that makes sense. (laughs) That is a great way to put it for sure. And I'm excited for our conversation today. I shared in the beginning, the vision of having more time to do work that's most interesting, exciting, and productive to people. And we know that that's the promise of artificial intelligence. And I'm so curious to learn more about the fact that it's getting more broad use with our business users. So I'd love to learn more. Tell me a little bit about your program, your platform, and then we'll get into the vision of your company as well. Awesome. So Zestel, the the, the flagship, like you said, has evolved and it's a, a no-code intelligent automation platform. Now, uh, the vision we had behind building it is that I, I take a step back and I'd say that it's not just artificial intelligence that's um, you know, something that business users aren't necessarily, uh, it's not something they feel they can, you know, kind of uh, take up and work with straight off. They need IT for that. It's also really the applications they work in on a, on a day-to-day basis. And so uh, one of the key elements to our vision really was to um, have a platform that would allow business users to build their own apps. Uh, and so with that in mind, it's, it's no code. You can build applications 
Uh, visually, there's a graphic user interface with multiple views. Um, and it's also very, very fast. So you can essentially think, map your process, uh, customize your task screens, and, and it's all drag and drop, click. Um, and the moment you upload, you've actually got an application. So, um, you know, that's the vision and that, you know, that's what we have now. Uh, going one step beyond that, once you've mapped out your process like that, uh, it's a lot easier to see the kind of, um, you know, automation or artificial intelligence, um, you know, the role that that would play in that particular process. And then that then becomes, it becomes a lot easier for you to say, okay, you know, this is what's uh, needed. And then we have elements that, uh, you know, even business users can actually, uh, you know, plug in uh, and, and reuse. Right, so that's uh, how we really make it simpler. Now, um, you know, any uh, is, is there something you want to ask me there? Yeah, sure. Um, so there are a couple of key terms that were exciting to me. So things like no-code app development and taking the black box of artificial intelligence and giving it to in the hands of business users, as opposed to this idea that you need a technical resource all the time. And it it sounds amazing. So. Tell me about the type of, of user that you see has, what are the skill sets and the capability of the people in the business? I sometimes call them power users that really gravitate to this kind of a, a solution. So there's really nothing specific. All they need to, the only qualification is uh, that they need to be really clear about the process. And as long as mm. they've got that going for them, there's nothing else they need beyond that. And that. That sounds incredible. So for adoption, to me, it starts with piquing people's interest in it. So exposing them to the idea of this technology and then the technology itself. And then at that point, you can work through some of the motivations and barriers to using it. So before you even get to that point, what's the ideal situation that, you, that a client might find themselves in that your solution could help them solve? Well, that's, that's a really good question. Um, the ideal situation is where you have, uh, you know, one or more intersecting business processes. And for that, you have a, a set of, you know, different tools, right? So some things you may do on Excel, some things you may uh, communicate via email, you may have some productivity application, uh, and then you may have your systems of record. So you may have some steps happening in an ERP. Um, you may have other, uh, other tools, supply chain tools, maybe, um, you know, maybe financial tools that plug into different places. And so what really happens is um, that process is spread out across uh, teams, functions, uh, and tools. And it becomes very uh, disparate, right? And so as a result, uh, people find a lot of their time going into, um, you know, looking for information, trying to collaborate with people, um, you know, putting information from here to there, and I have some really uh, good examples of that as we as we go along. Um, and so, what we really offer to to people there is, look, uh, there's there's four areas where you know, if if people are putting their time, it's probably not something that's going to energize them. I, I love that word, by the way. Um, so one is that if you have rule based stuff, or you know, let's say, uh, an, an example of that would be. Um, say so one of our customers, what, what they have their procurement people doing is actually comparing the, um, you know, a product code to like a model number, 
right? Just to make sure that it's been entered correctly. Now, that's an ideal case for something that can just be very easily automated. It's it's very boring, right? Um, so that's one example. You have other examples of that. So if anything is rule-based, uh, it can be automated. Um, if you're running a lot of computations and if you have uh, disparate Excel sheets, you're definitely going to take data from here to there, uh, validate it, so on and so forth, then run those. Um, and again, if it's an interlinked set of uh, computations, it can it's going to get done easier, faster on a, on a system, right? Um, thirdly, a lot of times the applications people work in are not really tailored precisely to their process. So there's some steps that happen in the tool, and then there's other steps that they just kind of do manually. Uh, and then what happens because of that in turn is that using the tool is more about entering data than actually getting much of a benefit out of it, right? Um, so these are really the four places that uh, you know people spend time. And so our proposition is, look, let's automate all of that. If you're a buyer, your focus, uh, what, what you're, you probably love doing is looking at, at new products and then picking the best ones, right? So, so that use of uh, experience, intuition, skill, uh, artistic capability is what we would love to have you spend all of your time on. Everything else we can actually uh, automate or calculate for you. So that well, and the and the common question that happens within organizations is if we need an, an app that's tailored or a system that's tailored to our way of working, do we buy one or we build one? And I see your solution as being in the middle. That's that's a, that's a good way to look at it. Um, it we I, I'd say we kind of offer the best of both worlds. Uh, you can build in okay. the sense that it can be tailored to your process. Uh, but a lot of the a lot of the um, you know pain and time that goes into building something from scratch uh, is something Zevolve element uh, eliminates, and, and we do that in a couple of ways. One, you let your business users actually map out the application within the within the platform, right? So that's uh, the first place we kind of cut through a lot of the clutter of um, you know sitting down, preparing requirements, uh, having IT vet it, a lot of that. But then also when it comes to building it, um, you have a lot of technology elements that are already in place. So the databases, the databases you're going to use, the um, scaling, the DevOps, a lot of these things are automated on the platform, which means you don't need to worry about them. And so the net effect is you can actually launch applications in, in three days to two weeks. And that's an incredible concept, especially because I think back to the times when it would take months and review cycles and you'd get part of the functionality that you'd want on the business end and you'd need to wait for phase two. So the, this speed of implementation is must be a, a really compelling proposition. Oh, absolutely. It's one of our biggest propositions. And it's not just about uh, having an application up and running in, in that amount of time. It's also about the fact that uh, when you use the application, you start seeing things that you would now like to have that maybe you didn't visualize originally. And so while it's mm -hmm. fast to deploy the first time, it's also very quick to edit, uh, which allows the tool to evolve uh, with the process. And you can take the more agile approach that many people are taking now to even their ways of working, not just agile in terms of a development uh, methodology. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, COVID is a, is a great example of that. I mean, we're seeing so many new concepts and business models and whatnot uh, that our customers are, are putting into play to respond to, uh, to, to the situation uh, we're in. So that's interesting. So what is different for you through this experience? Are you getting different types of customers come to come to you or how has COVID impacted what's going on for you? Well, for one thing, the focus has moved a lot from expansion to uh, to planning, uh, right? Because mm. everyone is sitting on inventory today. That's like the biggest problem. Uh, before this, a lot of the focus was on expansion. Um, and there was, I think, you know, already a transition happening, especially, you know, more so in the U.S. than India, right? So, so there's a key difference between these two markets. Uh, in India, organized retail, or, or, you know, that's how it's termed uh, out here, uh, is actually a very small section or, or has a very low market share, right? So a lot of the retail market share is with unorganized retail, which is, um, you know, corner shops and, and you know, so smaller, uh, smaller entities fundamentally, right? Um, and now organized retail for the last few years has been growing at, at uh, breakneck speed. And so for everyone, mm. the focus was... Um, on expansion, I think in the U.S., where you know you've had the retail apocalypse, uh, so to speak, yes. and I think you know what I see is the survivors have have adapted. So you now have like Bopis, and you have, um, you know, you might have fulfillment centers as you know as opposed to stores. Um, the stores become more about the experience. So I think a lot of that was going on, and I think now the focus suddenly has gone from there to inventory. That's uh, you know the mm. biggest change we're seeing. Right. And before we get to inventory, because that's a great use case, Bopus is buy online, pick up in store. And what's happening here is we're also having curbside pickup. Mm-hmm. And that never existed in the U.S. Um, before COVID. And so we've just created another opportunity for, you know, advancements in technology to supercharge that experience. Oh, absolutely. And I, I see a lot of things there. Uh, you know, I think one of the things that uh, we've uh, seen people maybe struggling with a little bit has been uh, you have, you know, you're selling through one channel, the return comes through another channel. Uh, so there's that. There's also, you know, order management across channels. Uh, so there's a lot of things there that are that are also uh, things. And then in India, uh, in India, it's not nearly as big as uh, it is in the U.S., but it's definitely gotten a lot bigger. And you see big players uh, who didn't prioritize online as much before uh, are now putting a lot more focus on it. Mm. Well, and hopefully they're learning from what what we went through and can, can leapfrog to doing it better and more efficiently. Uh, I would love to dig into the, the example of inventory uh, management and planning, because to your point, that is a big, bigger focus. It's always been one, but even bigger right now. So from my perspective, the experience I've had with um, demand and supply planning is the sweet spot of having enough inventory that you have what the customer wants when they want it, but not so much inventory that you're bearing the costs of holding that either in your warehouse or in your stores. So how does your platform help people more effectively and cost efficiently manage their inventory and planning? So we do it in more ways than one, right? The first step is is for us is really uh, making the entire process more agile. And so, you know, some of the things that go into that are, you know, firstly, how well does the information flow, right? Um, so if I, 
Um, so one of the interesting examples we've seen here in India with one of the you know fairly large retailers is sometimes when their buyers uh, were looking at, at the new assortment, uh, they couldn't actually see what kind of inventory they already had uh, for that particular uh, SKU or something very similar. Right. So, so there's these, so there's gaps in data. That's, you know, I'd say probably that's the first thing you can build uh, applications on Zvolve very, very quickly to address those gaps. Um, the second thing that comes in is okay if there's information in one place, and and you know this is one of the more interesting things about Zvolve, uh, is if you have information in one tool and it needs to be visible somewhere else, um, that's something that that we can actually do. So in some cases. Uh, Zevolve actually becomes an interaction layer uh, between two different softwares, right? So the process will have human steps at different points, but some of it is simply taking data from one tool and then putting it into another tool. Um, the third thing, of course, is the algorithms and the analytics that you're running on uh, on um, you know the numbers that you have. Um, fourthly, then. Uh, building tighter, uh, you know, syncing much better with suppliers. Um, and the thing that I put like at the, you know, at the very top, and, and I think that's like maybe the most interesting thing we do is that we actually have different types of bots. Um, and what the bots do is they will monitor the, uh, so you have Sentinel bots that are going to monitor the performance against plans. So what did you expect were you? This they will further compare to the inventory and the orders uh, that are coming in, look at lead times. Um, and if they see a mismatch, like you can set tolerances, you can have business rules. And if based on that, they, they feel the need for action, they can trigger optimization, which means that the optimizer bots are going to uh, take the latest information, run it through your models, uh, use regression analysis to really come back and say, okay, here's what we really expect. And then here's why you have a problem, right? Now that then gets routed by activator bots to the right people. So depending on the category, the store in question, the cluster region, whatever um, you know that company's hierarchy is, it gets routed to the right people, really saying that, look, you know, here's the challenge, here's all the information around that, what would you like to do? And then when mm. they choose what they want to do, you can have a workflow to actually execute it that makes sure the right information is flowing uh, both within your organization and to your suppliers. Now I can see how you put enterprise productivity on steroids. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, the, when I think about what these bots could do, it really does take out the need to con constantly monitor what's happening, and it releases you from needing to do that in favor of giving you time to draw insights and take action from what the bots are uncovering. Exactly, because monitoring is 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 so boring, right? Um, right, <laughs> right. It's it, and and you know it, it's kind of like. Um, when, when we, you know, I, I mean, okay, well, I, I, uh, I'm old enough to say this, you know, there was a time when you had these dial-up connections and something was downloading and you were just kind of looking at it, you know, there's that, that yes. circle moving around. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh my gosh. You took me way back with that example. Um, but it's, it's true with the, this idea that we think, you know, especially with, with demand planning, we think we know how much demand there'll be, but we're really the human input to the start of this process, um, it, it's got so many variables. And so what people are constantly trying to figure out are which variables have we figured out and which ones are so fluid that we need to, to 
allow for some flexibility in that. So being able to really look at that performance against the plan continually improves our ability um, to manage the inventory more effectively. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then the one other thing that, you know, is also part of that whole piece is um, you can have workflows for collaboration as well, because uh, one of the really interesting things we've seen is in a lot of organizations, um, you have these uh, you have these really experienced people. And sometimes this may not directly be their responsibility, but they get consulted internally. Right. So, you you know, you kind of, you know, route it to them just for a quick consult. Um and so we try to make that more painless as well. So the idea kind of is, um, you know, is there a way to to bring your organizational knowledge experience uh, effortlessly into all the key decisions? Mm. Well, and with many processes being cross-functional and handoffs between departments, there's many instances where I've seen silos that really prevent that collaboration from happening. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and part of the reason for that is, is uh, you know, different functions, different objectives. Uh, partly it's because they work in different tools. And I, you know, I don't know if you always realize uh, just how many more emails we've been sort of getting right over time. And so mm-hmm. I think um, there is a, I, uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, but there's definitely a tendency I see to kind of just ignore a bunch of things uh, because there's right. so much clutter. <laughs> Yes, it's true. It, it's a you know full-time job just to manage your email, let alone do the work you want to do. Absolutely. So it, another point that you made in that description was that uh, it can be the translation between apps. And what I hear in that is that you don't have to replace an existing solution that a company might be relying on. You can augment it or add to it. Is that is that something that you see a lot where people don't necessarily want to completely replace what they're doing, but they need to enhance it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, um, and and you know that's that's uh, that's a very important thing because uh, you know the systems they they've been using they're really comfortable with, uh, and just for that reason, uh, you know, even if let's say maybe there's something that's not quite optimal about it, they're just really comfortable with it. So what we do um, is we have the flexibility, like complete flexibility in terms of what steps are done in Zevolve and which ones are not. Um, and we can integrate with all manner of tools. So what we really say is if there's 10 steps in the process and there's three that, uh, you're doing on another tool, well, we'll just push data to that, that tool, do the three steps there, and then the data can come back to Zevolve and the process can move forward, uh, forward from there. Mm. Data is always a big question with these um, implementations. So what's needed on the customer's end for for your solution to really do what they need it to do, whether it's data or, or other processes and, and success factors? Well, the first, uh, the first thing is to map out the process really well. Uh, and and the, the key thing within that is to actually map out the, the actionables. So I, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Getting Things Done by David Allen. Uh, oh, but- very much so. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So, so you know the difference between actionables and things which just aren't, right? And yes. a lot of times when we see the process mapping that people have shared, uh, you have milestones and you have stuff that is not actually actionable uh, in there. Now, the way Zevolve works is you're really looking at it and saying, what action do I want to take? And then therefore, uh, what information do I want to see? What information do I want to enter? And then who else needs to know about this? And then what analysis or analytics or ML steps do I want after this particular task? 
And so if uh, you don't have the actionable defined, uh, then that screen is not going to be exactly mapped to your requirements. Um, so, so that's really the first big barrier saying, how do you actually do the work? Uh, we also have conditional workflows, but again, um, you know, because they haven't been into it that granularly, they, they haven't really, uh, you know, there's, there's a little bit of haziness there saying, yeah, this just, you know, we kind of figure it out outside the system. So, so that's really the first challenge mapping it out. Um, the second challenge that comes is, um, you know, so once you've done that, um, it takes a while for, for people to absorb everything they can actually do uh, on the platform. Yeah. And so usually you're going to go through multiple iterations uh, before you go live. And the challenge there is actually phasing it out because um, it's, it's a little bit like, um, you know, you're, you're in a, okay, I'm still, I, I still go to candy stores right? and you see all these things. And then it's a little bit like, yeah, I want that and that and that and that. And you can only do so much uh, at that particular point in time. So I think drawing that line can be a little challenging at times where you say, let's do this much, um, you know, put it into production and then build on top of that. I can see that. I've experienced that in other technology adoption projects that I've led, where it's it's the initial experience that will help someone either grab onto the grab onto the technology or really kind of resist it. And I have found there in some cases when you show them everything, it's just too overwhelming. But if you right. choose a single problem that they're dealing with and you show them the promise of this tool in solving that problem and you do it one one piece at a time or one piece initially, then I, I have seen a lot more success in people having a positive experience so that they'll get excited about using it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're spot on on that. So there's there's something that I would love to, uh, you know, ask you about, right? So, sure. um, so I... I usually see our users, you know, fall into one of two categories broadly, right? Okay. Uh, yeah. You have the people that are entering data and they're the people that are working in the tool uh, on a day in day out basis, right? And for them, um, the need for a tool is relatively low, just in the sense that, um, you know, they're not looking at so many things that they, you know, they inherently need structure. Obviously, they have issues finding data and, you know, some of the things I mentioned earlier. Uh, but, you know, within the scope of what they do, it's a lot easier to be much better organized. Uh, but they're doing a lot of the data entry when, when a system is adopted, right? And right. on the other hand, you have the folks, uh, you know, management at different levels uh, that, you know, they want to see the reports, they want the ability to focus on the right things and, and then collaborate on those things. Uh, and they don't do a lot of data entry. Now, these two groups would define the process a little differently at many points in time, right? Where management mm -hmm. want more controls and uh, the people doing it want more flexibility. They want it to be a little looser. Uh, so uh, is that also your experience and then how uh, how have you typically tried to, you know, uh, come uh, to a middle ground on it? Yeah, I have definitely seen the two groups of users that you mentioned. And it's it's interesting to consider that they are looking at the same situation through two very different lenses, like you mentioned. And so the folks who are entering data, they are you know usually focused on their part of the data entry, and they get really good at it. And they want to do it in a way that they can be efficient and effective. And when they hear that something could replace the need for data entry, there is a bit of a concern of, well, well, then what will I do if not data entry? 
And hopefully what they are freed up to do is to analyze the information so that when they're giving reports to the executive team or the leadership team, that they're not just giving data, but they're giving insights about the data and what to do with it. But that that skill set of analyzing data is a different skill set than data entry. And so now you've got someone, a human being, who's saying, well, wait a minute, where will I fit into this picture in the future if the data entry element is gone and I'm not yet confident in my skills to analyze the data? So what you might see as resistance in that case is actually them just wondering, where do I fit in and will I have a role in the future state? Do I want to do that work in the future state? Will I have the capabilities to do it? So a lot goes on for them. Is that something that you've experienced um, with that particular group? We, oh yes. So that's something that, uh, you know, we absolutely uh, have seen. And and then there's another group as well, right? There's there's uh, people that, you know, they, they have a job, right? I mean, let's say, you know, for example, we work with a lot of uh, business development people. That's one group where they scout sites and all that. Um, and, and they're just, you know, they're kind of like, I get the sites. Why do I need to enter anything, right? So there's that question mm-hmm. as well. Yes. So good point. And you asked about the leadership team too. So I'll go back to to leaders and management who wants different information. Then we can talk about the users who have to do something that's more work for them without a reward a, you know, that they can see. So for the leaders at different levels, they really want these reports and they want them to be consistent, a single version of the truth, so that when, when one leader's getting a set of information from their team, it matches the same information that another leader's getting. And right. so for them, there's there's a lot of skin in the game around, let get us the information that we need to make uh, informed business decisions, knowing that there's one version of the truth with this data. And so they tend to be really excited about the promise of the tool. They may not understand the inner workings of it or what it will take to get there. Um, so their adoption is really on the output of the tool versus the use of the tool. Correct. Um, but if you, if they're bought in from a sponsorship level, it then does help drive acceptance and adoption, you know, for the for the teams as well. Um, so, and then your third group, you mentioned the business, you know, developer who's on site, and now what we're asking is for them to do more work. Most immediately, they might may not see the benefits of that work of that data entry, and so what I have found useful is to give them the bigger picture. Here's what your piece of this process, your, your role in this moment does for the bigger picture of our ability to more effectively plan and right. uh, achieve, achieve the goals that we've set out to do. So a lot of this for all of these groups is around communicating the broader vision, but also helping them be clear on their role in achieving that broader vision, especially if they're about to, to face changes in the work that they do. Yeah, no, I, I, that's that's absolutely absolutely right. Um, so you know, I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples there. The the business development folks are one. Um, so what we found interesting was that you know they kind of have responsibility to get the new outlet up and running, uh, but. Sure. You know, once they've kind of closed the deal with the landlord, uh, they don't, they're not in control of the project's team. Uh, they're, they also don't control IT or HR, you know, all the different folks that uh, need to pitch in to make sure that the site launches on time. So what we really offer them is we say, hey, you know, like, you know, you get visibility and very easy visibility into the stuff that typically you had to make a lot of phone calls to pick up, right? So. Uh, so that's one thing we give them. The other thing we give them is Evolve is a, is a fully mobile platform. So um, said, so, you know, look, you're going to, you know, capture the information somewhere and then you're going to go back and you're going to collate it 
and then email it to someone. So what if you can just, uh, you know, take photographs or, you know, scan barcodes or whatever, if, uh, if in, when relevant or just, you know, we can simplify what you enter if you have options by putting in drop downs or not or search menus. Uh, so there's a lot of things we can do to simplify that. And what if we do that? And then that usually makes the difference between uh, them entering it and, and not entering it. Right. So both the mm. big picture and then some tactical uh, advantages. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if they're managing fl- through influence, that visibility you mentioned goes a long way in helping them have the right conversations with their stakeholders. Absolutely. Absolutely. Another, you know, interesting example uh, along those lines is, is uh, you know, so this is actually one of our customers and they have a, they have a procurement team uh, and they source from, you know, all over the world. Now, um, they currently have systems which are, you know, disparate. They don't talk to each other. And so a couple of things they do that are just, um, you know, just so, so for one thing, like uh, I said before, they, they actually match like codes to validate it. They're actually creating two purchase orders for every order. Uh, and that's mainly oh. because, you know, one system has the product ID and some other things and the other system has the foreign currency. Okay. So, so they're doing two purchase orders um, and then they're doing a lot of follow-up calls with vendors. And so, um, you know, we started to look, I think now these guys are, are really champs at uh, collaborating with the vendors and expediting things, right? So if they know there's a requirement, uh, they kind of, they're, they're very good at getting it done from the vendor on time, managing the shipping, uh, managing customs and making sure the product, you know, gets to the shelf on time. Uh, but what, what was really happening is uh, they were spending a lot of time just uh, calling the, the vendor saying, okay, where are you on this order? Right. Uh, so that was, that was a huge drain on their time. Uh, then of course they were doing two invoice uh, purchase orders for every order and a few other things like that. And so the way we put it to them is we said, Hey, look, you know, what if, um, you know, we can tell you exactly based on when you need things to be on the shelf, what your timelines are, uh, which orders are at risk of creating an issue in the stores. Right. And then you can focus there. So you don't need to call a ton of vendors and, you know, list those dates in an Excel sheet, uh, then communicate with someone else and so on and so forth, right? You're going to see what your issues are. The, the thing you need to do that's the most important um, is simply then, you know, make sure you expedite the transport and, you know, make sure the vendor does it faster. That's really the focus. Um, so that's, that's you know, one example. And uh, there it went down really well because they're a fast growing company. And so these guys are already, uh, you know, drowning, drowning in work. And they said, well, you know, phenomenal, right? Uh, if if right. we can do that, nothing like it. Well, these use cases are really in- incredible propositions for what you can do for companies. So as we, you know, think about the technology adoption, and I love the vision on your website where you see a world where automation is all pervasive and the barriers to adoption are torn down. What would it take? What are those barriers and what would it take to really tear them down? So first and foremost, people define where they want intelligent automation. And so it takes people to figure out where it's going to be best utilized, right? Um, mm. Artificial intelligence is, is, you know, it's a technology, there's capabilities, uh, but how and where you utilize it will come from people. Yes. So that's really the first uh, step. So I think, you know, the one word answer to that is imagination. Oh, that's fantastic. 
So, so that's really the first step. And then, of course, there's more, you know, kind of, you know, map it out, get comfortable with it. Uh, I think one of the points you made was really interesting where uh, you could do more analysis, you could do something more energizing, more interesting, uh, but you may not be confident in your abilities. So that's the next thing where, uh, you know, companies and, and you know, maybe individuals in their own capacity uh, need to start looking for those opportunities. And I love the word imagination when it comes to artificial intelligence and the, the and these other advanced technologies because we can't look to our past to recognize the possibilities that the, that these technologies can do for us in the future. So we've got to picture a world that we have never seen in order to really take advantage of of what's out there. Oh, absolutely! So for me, that's that is really exciting. Me too. Me too. So, what more would you did you want to cover or share with our listeners? Uh, we've covered some great ground. Everything from the big picture to the use cases of your your really um, compelling platform. But is there anything else you were hoping to go through? One thing that maybe I'll you know just cover for any technical uh, listeners we have is you know so so Zevolve is is on the cloud. It can be implemented on premise as well. Um, there are no product licenses that the underlying tech stack requires, right? We've built it uh, entirely on our own. So every component is something we've built. Uh, we use uh, NoSQL, and MySQL is the databases, Maria database. Uh, we've uh, we've used Angular for the for the uh, web portals front end. Uh, we've got native apps right now, but we're moving to uh, Flutter on that. Um, and the the backend is a mix of PHP, uh, uh, Python, and uh, Node.js. So that's really that's really the the makeup of the tool. Um, the bar okay. framework is in is in Python, um, and like I said before, the scaling, the uh, security, all gets uh, the DevOps, it all gets uh, taken care of, right? So we can implement on a private cloud. We can implement on different clouds, Azure, Google. Uh, AWS is is something we're native to, uh, so there's a there's a lot of options we offer uh, out there. So for anyone uh, listening that is you know that uh, is focused on technology, uh, you know that's for you. Well, and that was great. It really helped me understand the breadth and compl- and um, comprehensiveness of your platform as well. And so, do since your platform contains those um, various technology components, do your business, do your customers need to have insight or understanding of those, or is that taken care of based on what you've built? So, there's only one place where, if they have an understanding, it it um, you know it helps. Um, so if they want to build custom bots, uh, that happens in Python. Mm. So we have a bot that's library. Right. In many cases, they can take something that's there and maybe uh, tweak it further. In many cases, they can just plug something in. Uh, but the Python coding is the one place where you know it's not fully no code or um, you know that that's that's one skill set they would need to have. Outside of that, not really. Oh, that's really useful. Well, we've talked before about the intersection of people and technology really converging. So meaning technology um, team members are also users of of tech and business users are becoming more knowledgeable in the use of technology. Um, and so are you finding more that, that you're working with a combination of business and tech or who are you working with most inside of companies? We actually work a lot more with business than tech. So we work with tech primarily for integration. And we work with them a little bit uh, on the implementation. Obviously, they provide in some cases the infrastructure, 
they vet it even if it's uh, running on our infrastructure. Um, and then they help with integration. But outside of that, it's almost entirely with business. That's fascinating. It's just so different than when, when I started my career, and I love this difference. I think it's the right the right place for the conversations to be happening because it's the, the problems of the business that the technology is solving. Absolutely right. And I think we did have a stage where, you know, I think at times the cart was being put before the horse, uh, if that mm. makes sense. Oh, it totally does. Well, I'm so captivated by the the solution and the conversation that we've had and this this compelling vision of having an imagination to carry us forward to realize the possibilities. So thank you so much for your time today, Tejas. And I'm looking forward to, to watching and seeing how your organization continues to flourish. Thank you so much. And then, you know, just one last thing I'll, I'll uh, you know, leave the listeners with. You can visit us at uh, zvolve.com. That's Z-V-O-L-V.com. Uh, you can reach out to me at Tejas, T-E-J-A-S, uh, at Zestel.com. And I would love to hear from uh, anyone that would uh, wants more information or would like to uh, check out Zevolve. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you for the generous offer to let people uh, reach out to you directly. I'm sure you'll have some great conversations. Oh, I definitely look forward to that. You take care. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode. For more information and to contact us, visit www.humansoptimized.com.